You're listening to Radio Looks Lucid. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 40. The title of this episode is Don't Be Deceived. Well, you know, uh, I mentioned uh, a few times uh, last week, I know I was having some issues with some of my uh, my equipment, my podcast equipment. I kept having this this thing where my uh, one of my channels was dropping out of my recorder. It was very, very frustrating. And anyway, it turned out the problem was like this little $5 part. Uh, it, it was actually the, there's a, a, a line, a mic in line that, that goes from my podcast recorder into my, my mixing board. And, and the thing had a problem with it. And it was, uh, you know, it's like I say, it's a little $5 item. It's, it's uh, a very small thing. And I've got all this equipment here. And the thing that fails is the thing is probably about the cheapest thing that, that, uh, uh that's all, that's part of the system. So it's, it's, uh, kind of an interesting lesson in how small things can uh, actually turn out to be, be pretty important. And, uh, well, I got that fixed at least temporarily here. I, I got my old cable fixed and I got a new one coming in. So, so anyway, hopefully today we'll get through the podcast without any, uh, any audio dropouts or static or, or things like that. So, uh, uh, thanks for putting up with some of that. I know the last few weeks, maybe the audio quality hasn't been the way it should. And it turned out it was actually a, a pretty simple thing. So, so thanks so much for, uh, for bearing with me while I, I get that fixed. That's, that's, you know, things like that are just super frustrating. Um, you know, when, when things don't work right, I, I've always been amazed at people like, uh, like my dad is, is a big do it yourselfer. He's really good at that. And, and he always has been. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you know, I mean, he'd fix all kinds of things and, and he just, he has patience for, for that kind of thing. I, I, I have a very low frustration threshold <laughs> with stuff that doesn't work right. And, uh, it, it, I just want to plug it in and have it work. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to have to sit there and, uh, spend a lot of time trying to, to fiddle around with it to try to make things work. Well, anyway, so, so that's what's going on with, uh, with me. Um, boy, something else too. I know we're getting here close to the, to Christmas and to the end of the year and all this. And I, I thought that, uh, work would slow down, but my goodness, I don't know this year. Um, boy, that sure hasn't been that way. I've been just super busy, it seems like. And, uh, anyway, um, at least today I kind of slowed down a little bit. So hopefully, uh, I'll be, I'll be working next week as well. So, so hopefully things will, uh, will be a little bit slower next week. Maybe I can get an extra podcast in or something. I don't know. Uh, or maybe an extra blog post. Who knows? So anyway, um, enough of all that stuff. Um, I wanted to, to talk to you today about, um, let's say the title of the episode is, don't be deceived. Uh, and of course, that's something that, that Christ told the disciples uh, in the New Testament. You know, he warned them, don't be deceived. You know, and there are lots of warnings in Scripture not to be deceived. And it's very easy for us to be deceived. And the, I mean, that, that can happen. We, we can deceive ourselves just with, uh, with some of our own uh, sort of sinful and, and false ideas that we have. That, I mean, we, we can deceive ourselves. Um, but of course, I, I think in today's world, we face um, some very powerful forces of deception that are out there. And, and maybe the most powerful, or certainly one of the most powerful forces of deception, is, uh, is the mainstream media. And it's, it's really remarkable. It's, it's frightening, actually, the power that the mainstream media has and, and the way that they use that to, to deceive people. Now, when I'm talking about the mainstream media, I'm talking about, you know, sometimes some people call it the legacy media, that type of thing. Um, but I'm talking here, of course, about uh, organizations such as, you know, leading newspapers, say like the, uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, even the Wall Street Journal or, you know, other national major, 
newspaper publications. Think of like Time Magazine is another example. You've got the major networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. You've got CNN. Um, I think you'd have to throw Fox News in there as well. I know that might upset a lot of conservatives, but I think there's a lot of deception that goes on in Fox News. Um, you know, MSNBC. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there are certainly other ones. Uh, CNBC is, is one. That's the business channel. Um, and it's amazing how much just fake nonsense there is in, in the financial media. It's, it's uh, really an astounding thing. Um, and one of the things that, that prompted me to, to think about this a little bit was a story that I saw in, in the Washington Post. And I wanted to just go over this with you here briefly. Uh, here's the headline. This uh, the story itself was put out on December 16th. So I guess that was what a couple of days ago on uh, on uh, on Wednesday. Uh, here's the headline. It reads: Nearly eight million Americans have fallen into poverty since the summer. Nation's poverty rate has risen at the fastest pace ever this year after aid for the unemployed declined. So let's read a little bit through the story and then we'll we'll comment on it. The U.S. poverty rate has surged over the past five months with 7.8 million Americans falling into poverty, the latest indication of how deeply many are struggling after government aid dwindled. The poverty rate jumped to 11.7% in November, up 2.4 percentage points since June, according to new data released Wednesday by researchers at the University of Chicago and the University of Notre Dame. Um, while overall poverty levels are low by historic sta- historical standards, the increase in poverty this year has been swift. It's the biggest jump in a single year since the government began tracking poverty 60 years ago. It is nearly double the next largest rise, which occurred in 1979 to 1980 during the oil crisis, according to James X. Sullivan, professor at Notre Dame, and Bruce D. Meyer, professor at the University of Chicago's Harris School of Public Policy. So here this article is talking about a a massive increase in the number of Americans who uh, fit the definition of, uh, of poverty. Now... You know, I mean, of course, it's hard to assess. I mean, is that eight, is that eight million true? I I don't know, but um, you know, it very well may be true, or certainly, I think, very close to the truth. Um, I mean, it only stands to reason, right? I mean, when you've seen the kind of economic destruction that has been wrought in the United States over since, well, I guess, over the past nine months since uh, March, since they started the uh, the COVID lockdowns, it only stands to reason that a lot of people would fall into poverty. I mean, you've had people thrown out of work. Uh, you've had uh, business owners have their businesses shut down. Uh, in some cases, they've permanently gone uh, gone bankrupt. So, I mean, yeah, there's been massive destruction in the economy. So it stands to reason that, that more people um, would uh, would fall into poverty. I think that's. I, I think we can certainly um, you know, agree that there's probably been a, a substantial increase in poverty. I mean, it, it like I say, it just it stands to. Uh, stands to reason, you know, based on on everything that's been happening in the economy. Now, I titled this the title of this episode: "Don't be deceived." And this next paragraph is is what I really want to focus on here. So let me read this. This is continuing in the article. The economists say the sharp rise in poverty is occurring for two reasons: millions of people cannot find jobs, and government aid for unemployed has declined sharply since summer. The average unemployment payment was more than $900 a week from late March to the end of July, but it fell to about $300 a week in August, making it harder for the unemployed to pay their bills. We've seen a continual rise in poverty every month since June, said Sullivan. 
Okay, so let's stop there. So the economists here, the, these two economists, one from uh, Notre Dame, one from, uh, what was that, the University of Chicago? Yeah, the University of Chicago. Um, they say that there are two reasons they give for the, the sharp rise in poverty since, uh, I guess what, since, since June. Number one, they say millions of people cannot find jobs. And number two, the government aid for the unemployed has declined sharply since the summer. Now, let's talk about reason number one. Millions of Americans cannot find jobs. Okay, um, that's true. That's true. Millions of Americans cannot find jobs. But that's not really I, – I, that, that really doesn't get down to the root cause uh, of the increase in poverty. You know, when I was in, in business school a few years ago – they brought in a uh, a couple of people from Toyota Motor Corporation, and of course Toyota, as you may well know, is is famous for its quality control. I mean, there's there's nobody that builds a consistently higher quality vehicle anywhere than Toyota, and, and Toyota is famous not just within the auto industry, but they really are a model in a lot of ways for how any company can uh, can build quality. Into its, uh, it just, just kind of into its DNA, if you will, almost into its, into its workflow, into its processes. And, and this is a, a really big deal, uh, with Toyota. And it's why they've been such a successful car company for so long. Um, they have their, their entire, uh, focus is on quality and, and on, and on finding what they call, uh, what they call the root cause of the problem. This is one of the big, big parts of the, uh, Toyota. Uh, manufacturing process is what they call root cause analysis, or sometimes it's also called the five whys. And, and when I say five whys, I don't mean five letter whys. Uh, I mean five li- like the question word, W-H-Y, five whys. And one of the things I remember these Toyota representatives talked about, uh, they gave some examples uh, about what the five whys are. And and the idea is that you keep asking the question why until you get back to the root cause of the problem. So maybe you're having a uh, an issue with, oh, I don't know. Uh, I, I think they used the example of a uh, of a car seat. There were defective car seats that they were that they were getting. Okay, well, well, why are these car seats defective? Well, the the reason is they're, they're coming from this particular manufacturer. Okay, well. Um, what's the problem with a particular manufacturer? Then they go back and they look at the manufacturer's process and they keep asking why. Well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And they got back. I, I, it's been long enough. I don't recall exactly what the root cause of the problem was, but they got back to the root cause and it was actually something fairly, fairly simple. And when they fixed that, it, it, it cleaned up the problem. Now, one of the things that, that we, that, that, and we've probably all been guilty of this. I, I know that I have. Uh, and, and that is the idea that, you know, if, if you have a problem, you kind of just want to slap a Band-Aid on it and keep going. Now, I, I, I don't want to say there's there's never a, a time or a purpose for Band-Aids. I, I think that there is. You know, sometimes just slapping a Band-Aid on something is is the the thing, the right thing to do to, to just get it fixed and move on. But ultimately, if, if you're having a consistent problem, whether it's in uh, quality control and manufacturing or, or maybe in, in some other area, uh, you, you really need to get back and, and find the root cause of the problem. Because otherwise, you're not going to fix it. And it's just going to keep, it's going to continue. And, and who knows, it may even get worse. I mean, that's one of the things I find is if I don't address a problem, um, it, it tends to get worse. 
you know, it's like with your car, you know, if you get something that goes, you know, you can tell your, your car is kind of developing a problem and you say, Oh, I don't want to spend the money right now. I don't want to be bothered going to the mechanic, etc. Well, what happens if, if you, if you, keep allowing that to go on sooner or later that problem gets bigger and then maybe either your car breaks down in a really bad place or um, you know you, you end up having to spend a lot more than you otherwise might have if you'd address the problem sooner so you know the uh, the, the band-aid approach to things although it's it's the easy way out it's not always you know long term necessarily the smartest thing to do Um. And the reason I bring up the whole five whys thing or the root cause analysis is because I want to talk a little bit about this this first reason for people falling into poverty. And again, let's go back and read that. The economists say the sharp rise in poverty is occurring for two reasons. And the first reason they give is millions of people cannot find jobs. Okay, so let's let's kind of apply that Toyota um, manufacturing approach, uh, the Toyota quality control approach. And, you know, let, let's try maybe the five whys. They don't always necessarily have to ask five whys. Uh, you may not have that many, but you, the idea is that you keep asking why until you find the root cause of the process. So we have a short rise in poverty. Okay, why? Well, one of the reasons is millions of people cannot find jobs. Okay, well, why is that? Oh, well, it's it's the uh, the COVID that they can't find jobs. Well, you know, what is it about the COVID that means people can't find jobs? Oh, well, the government shut down the economy. Oh. Oh, so, you know, what What happens is when you, you keep asking yourself why, you realize, you know, the virus does not cause people to be unemployed. Um, you know, the, the virus does not cause businesses to shut down. The virus does not cause people to lose jobs. What causes people to lose jobs, what causes businesses to shut down, what causes economic problems are the actions of the government. And when you read through this whole article, um, you, know, you, you just read through it and, and, the, it, and sometimes it's out on the surface, sometimes it's, it's implied. But there's this idea that the problems, the, the economic problems that Americans are having is is because of the virus. You know, in fact, the, both these economists say it says Sullivan and Meyer created a COVID nineteen income and poverty dashboard to track how many Americans are falling below the poverty line in this deep recession. Well, you know, again, it's not COVID nineteen that's causing people to fall into poverty. It's the government overreaction to the COVID nineteen virus that's causing people to fall into poverty. But one of the things when you read this Washington Post article, it's very easy to kind of read through it quickly, um, just kind of look at it at the surface and never ask questions of it. So when I say, you know, don't be deceived, well, one of the ways that you you don't be deceived, ways that we're not deceived by the mainstream press is it's probably a pretty good assumption anytime you come to an article in the mainstream press to assume that the mainstream press is trying to misinform you. You know, a lot of us have this idea somehow that the mainstream press is out there um, to to teach us, to help us to learn the truth, to help us to uh, to, to make good decisions. That's not the case. Uh, in fact, I think very clearly one of the main jobs, and maybe the main job of the mainstream press, is to act as a pop- propaganda organ um, to push um, uh, to push whatever ideas it is that the uh, the establishment wants to have pushed. It's a propaganda machine is, is really what it is. And in fact, there's a book 
that was was published uh, a few years ago is by Harvard University Press called The Mighty Wurlitzer, and it talked about some people in the intelligence agency. I, I can't remember the the guy's name, but but you know he talked about the the mainstream press as his Mighty Wurlitzer. You know that's a reference to a, a theater organ. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. You know back in the day, this is when they had the the silent movies. They would have these very elaborate. Uh, theater pipe organs and and not only were they they pipe organs but they had all these sound effects and things on them um, they're really quite uh, quite amazing instruments and and the theater organist could um, could use all of these sound effects to to sort of add uh, you know an extra dimension to the silent film so you didn't just sit there in a silent theater but they they would have a live musical accompaniment that would would go along with uh, with these movies and I've actually had the opportunity to to see a, a silent film that way with a, a theater organ accompaniment it was, it was actually pretty interesting uh, in fact it was the old uh, the old Phantom of the Opera uh, I was talking about the old one there was one that was made back in the the, the 20s I don't know who I want to say was that Lon? Ch- I don't know if that was Lon Chaney that starred in that or or whatever, but it was it was made back in the 1920s, and they they did this with with theater organ. It was a very interesting um, movie going experience. But that was a mighty Wurlitzer. Wurlitzer was the company that that made. I don't know if they were the only company that produced theater organs, but they they were the most famous. Uh, of the theater organ manufacturers, and this this fellow called the mainstream press is sort of his uh, his mighty Wurlitzer, and he could play tunes on. He could get people to you know uh, be happy or be sad or be fearful or uh, be angry or 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 you know direct people's attention one way and or direct it away from something else. Um, the CIA has a, a long history of being involved with. Um, with the media. In fact, there is a, a program, uh, it started back in the 1950s, apparently. Uh, it, it's called Operation Mockingbird, also, where CIA, um, the CIA would recruit journalists, um, to, uh, to work for them. And, and a lot of times stories were put out under the, uh, the name of, of particular journalists that were, uh, they were written by the CIA. Uh, more recently, there was a uh, a German fellow by the name of Udo Ulfkati, and uh, he was a German journalist and and a very prominent fellow. That he was, I think, at one time the chief editor of a newspaper in Germany called the Frankfurter Allgemeine. And the Frankfurter Allgemeine is one of the biggest, most important papers in Germany. It's kind of it's a newspaper of record. If you will, it's it's like the the New York Times or the Washington Post in the United States. You know, it's a, a major uh, German newspaper. So I mean, it was a very prominent publication, and he was a very prominent fellow at that publication. He was a, I believe, he had a PhD as well, and he wrote a book called "Bot Journalists: Gekaufte uh, Journalisten" in in German and. Uh, it was actually recently published as a translation in English, and I think it was called uh, Prestitutes was the name of the book. And one of the things that he alleged in this book is that he said every major journalist in Europe was on the CIA payroll. And he even talked himself about how there were stories that were written by the CIA but were put out under his name. And specifically, he talked about, uh, I guess some of this was in the run-up to the, the 2011 uh, uh, takedown of uh, Muammar Gaddafi, and and these stories were put out, and and they were um, they they advocated for the the overthrow of of Muammar Gaddafi, and they were put out under this fellow Udo Ulfkati's name, even though he didn't write them, they was written by uh, by the CIA. Uh, 
Now, of course, you know, if, if Udo Ofkati was right, and again, he was a very serious, I mean, he, he was a major mainstream serious fellow. So he wasn't some, he wasn't some fringe person, like, I don't know, some crazy person who does, you know, like podcasts from his study or something like that. Wasn't one of those uh, sort of whack job tinfoil hat guys. No, he was actually a, a, a very uh, highly placed journalist. And this guy is saying this stuff. Um, and, and so let's, let's just for argument's sake, let's say, what if he's right? And, and I think he is. I think he was telling the truth about this. But let's just assume for a moment that he was right about that. If all of the journalists in Europe were on the CIA's payroll, major journalists with the, the major publications, what about the United States? Is it not possible that maybe some of that goes on in the United States as well? Yeah, well, I, I think it does. And it's kind of interesting. Udo Ofkati, he died the uh, the very week that Donald Trump was inaugurated president back in January of 2017. And he was a young man, too. He was in his mid-50s. Um, and he was, so he wasn't, uh, wasn't an old fellow. And I don't know that it's ever really been explained why he died. It, it seems to be somewhat, somewhat, uh, uh, under mysterious circumstances. And I'll, I'll just, just leave it at that. But the bottom line is that the press, I think there's massive amounts of evidence, uh, and you can point to some, some comments that he made or even just in, in, I think in your own day to day experience when you read, compare what you read in the mainstream press to what you, you actually see going on and, and, and the truth that you know, say from reading the scriptures. Um, you know, the mainstream press is, is, I, in, in my own opinion, it's designed to deceive you. You know, that's, that's one of its main purposes. It's, uh, to give you a particular point of view. It's to focus your attention on one thing that the, that the, uh, the powers that be want you to focus on and ignore all the things that are over here to the, to the other side that they don't want you to pay attention to. Think about, there's that great scene in, in The Wizard of Oz. You know, probably most of us seen The Wizard of Oz. And it's at the end, you know, and, 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 you know, Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion, and they're all there in that, that big chamber where The Wizard of Oz is. And, and, uh, you know, you You've got all this thunder and smoke and thundering voices and things like this. And then, you know, was that Toto runs over and he pulls the curtain back and, you know, and, and the Wizard of Oz is this kind of like nerdy little scientist over there punching buttons and turning levers and dials and things. And he's paying no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, that, that's what he says. Well, you know, that's, I think <laughs> that is really essentially what the mainstream press does. You know, the mainstream press wants us always to focus on the wrong thing. And take her eyes off the truth. You know, and one of the ways they do it is by misdirection. And there's some very subtle misdirection in this article. You know, again, they talk about, they say, well, millions of people can't find jobs. Well, that's true. Millions of people can't find jobs. But nowhere in this article do they ever mention the main, the reason, the root cause. <laughs> they don't ever ask why, um, why they can't find jobs. Apparently, that's just, you know, the, just for some mystical, magical reason, people can't find jobs. Um but, uh, or, you know, or if there is a reason, it's COVID. Well, again, you know, COVID doesn't put anybody out of work. COVID doesn't shut down businesses, but governments do. Governors do. Anthony Fauci does. Bill Gates helps do that, even if not directly. Um, you know, the reason millions of people cannot find jobs is because of the actions undertaken by uh, government officials in, in not just in the United States, but in Europe and Australia, elsewhere. Um, this is something that has been imposed from the top down. It's not COVID's fault. It's the governor's fault. 
That's why people can't find jobs. But again, reading through this Washington Post article, you'll never get that idea. Now, they give a second reason here. Um, government aid for the unemployed has declined sharply since the summer. Okay, well, again, we could ask, we could apply the five whys principle to this. Okay, well, okay, so government aid has declined sharply. Okay, so why do we need government aid in the first place? Oh, it's because people can't find jobs. Well, why can't people find jobs? Because the governors have shut down the economy. You know, the the whole thing idea somehow that you can shut down the economy and print massive amount of money and that, that somehow we can all just, just get, al- get along with that is ridiculous. That is a phenomenal, incredible lie. Uh, there's a, a principle in economics that's called Say's Law, and it says that products are paid for with products. In other words, you have to pr- if you want to consume something, you first have to produce. And you see that idea, the Apostle Paul talks about this. You know, he says, if a man will not work, neither should he eat. You know, there's the expectation, you have to produce something. If you, if you want to consume food or, or shelter or, or maybe, some, uh, maybe some luxury good or something like this, you first have to produce something. You, know, you can't lock everybody down, put them out of work, and then just have the Fed print money and Congress dole it out, and, and somehow that's an economy. Yeah, that's not an economy. You know, that's ridiculous. Um, I mean, if, if that actually were the case, then none of us would ever have to work another day. You know, we could all just sit home. We could let the Federal Reserve print trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars, and everything would be awesome. We don't have to produce anything, right? You know, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and this, this article is ridiculous. And of course, it's citing, you know, the, these are two, I, I assume, you know, they're professors. So I assume they're PhD economists, um, uh, from, uh, Notre Dame and from, uh, University of Chicago. These guys aren't dummies, but the, the statements that are made in this article are, are pretty dumb. And they're misleading. I mean, that, that's more to the point. They are misleading. And, and they want you to buy into this government line that the government can just shut everything down, print all kinds of money, and everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. The government has destroyed our economy with these COVID lockdowns, and this stuff needs to stop. Don't be deceived. All right, so I wanted to kind of shift gears here a little bit. Um, here's another uh, type of deception. I get a little coffee here. A uh, another way in which the uh, the mainstream media deceives people. Um, here's a uh, this is a short clip. This is um, Pete Buttigieg. You might remember him. He was one of the Democratic um, presidential contenders. Uh, he dropped out of the race. I guess what back? Oh, I don't know. In the spring or so, and. Uh, fairly early on, uh, stepped aside so Joe Biden could be the Democratic nominee. But as you may recall about Pete Buttigieg, he's, I, I think he currently still is or maybe recently resigned from being the mayor of, uh, of Gary, Indiana. And he, he's a young guy, but of course the thing that really makes him stand out is, is, uh, he's, he's openly homosexual. Uh, and not only that, but he's also same sex married. And Joe Biden just this past week announced that he's going to be his nominee as uh, as transportation secretary. So he's going to take over the, the Department of Transportation um, once uh, you know once uh, once Biden is inaugurated, assuming that Biden is inaugurated, which I think is uh, 
almost inevitable at this point. Um, I'm going to come back and talk about that in a minute. But just uh, talking about Pete Buttigieg, I want, and I want to play a, a short clip. It's about a 30-second or so clip. And, and I want you to listen to this, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. I've also had a personal love of transportation ever since childhood. More than once as a college student, I would convince a friend to travel nearly 1,000 miles back to Indiana with me on Amtrak. Though I know that in this administration, I will at best aspire to be the second biggest uh, train enthusiast around. I spent a spring break in graduate school aboard a cargo ship studying there. Travel in my mind is synonymous with growth, with adventure, even love, so much so that I proposed to my husband Chaston in an airport terminal. So don't let anybody tell you that O'Hare isn't romantic. I've also had a Okay, so that's Pete Buttigieg. And did you catch that part at the end? Because that's really what I wanted to talk about. And he was talking about how he proposed to his husband uh, at O'Hare Airport. So, yeah, you, you heard that right. Um, and so, I mean, this, this fellow, this, this Pete, uh, Pete Buttigieg, I mean, as I said, he is uh, he's a very smart guy. He's very well-spoken. Uh, he's a, a Harvard grad and, and he, I mean, he can, can very, he can present a very, uh, a very good image and he claims to be a Christian and yet he is, is openly, you know, he's, uh, he's same sex married to his husband, as he calls him, this fellow named Chastain. Um, now, you know, as Christians, when we look at something like this, I know this is going to sound really obvious on one hand. But I think sometimes as Christians, we need to state the obvious. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is not a Christian. If he were a Christian, he would not be doing these kinds of things. It, it makes very clear in the New Testament, in several places, you know, that, um, you know, that the, the, the homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, he's an unrepentant, open homosexual. He is not a Christian. Don't be deceived. Yeah, you know, and this, of course, is the way the the news media is going to report is is going to present this fellow. You know, as a Christian, he's going to present him, and and it's going to present same sex marriages. Oh, this is perfectly normal. Well, it's not marriage. I mean, there is no such thing as same sex marriage. That's not marriage. Not as as God defines marriage. You know, the the Westminster Confession. You know, even defines marriage, and it takes from Scripture. You know, it's it's the uh, the union of one man and one woman. That's not an exact quote, but that, that's what it says. And, and of course, the Bible is very clear on this. Uh, in the Bible, you know, that, that marriage is between a, uh, a man and a woman. You know, this isn't difficult stuff. This isn't, isn't, isn't really complex theology. You know, you don't have to be, uh, you know, at the level of, say, a Martin Luther or a John Calvin or a, a Gordon Clark or somebody along those lines to understand this. This is actually very, very simple stuff. And one of the things, though, that concerns me is that when you've got the mainstream media out there, and this is this uh, that clip that I played you is actually from CBS News. Um, there was a press conference that Pete Buttigieg was given. When you see this stuff in the mainstream, and it, it's just presented out there, and it's like, oh, well, that's where I proposed to my husband Chastain, and you know, hey, O'Hare's a really romantic place, and this is a great thing, and it's presented very matter of fact, and. You know, unless somebody comments on this, it, it can be very easy for people to become inured to this, be, to become uh, accustomed to hearing, well, this is just perfectly normal. And, and what are you, some weirdo if you think there's a problem with that? Well, there is a problem with that. Don't be deceived. Don't allow the mainstream media to, don't, 
don't take your morals, don't take your ethics from the mainstream media. They will lead you astray. Again, this is CBS News. So we had one we had one example from the Washington Post trying to deceive us in terms of uh, the cause for the rise in poverty. They try to blame it on COVID uh, when it's actually the governments, uh, the governors, and, and various other government officials' fault for doing what they've done for their overreaction. Um, for really for the tyrannical reaction to to COVID, you know, and here we have CBS News simply just presenting this as a matter of fact. Oh, you know, here's a fellow. He's you know he he proposed to his husband and 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 what have you. Um, and 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 that's all perfectly normal. Well, it's not normal, and it's not okay. And I'm, I want to just share with you a passage from Scripture here. Now, this is one and that you know, if you're a Christian, I'm sure you you're probably quite well aware of the passage I'm going to read to you. Um, and it, again, this is not a passage it's hard to understand. Uh, this is from Romans chapter 1. So let's let's go ahead and read through some verses here. And starting this is chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves a penalty for their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God, they gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, this is a very devastating uh, condemnation, uh, not just of homosexuality, but uh, the principal focus here that Paul talks about is, uh, is, is on homosexuality. This is not okay. And, and what do we think that God will do with a nation that accepts this kind of thing. Well, we know from Scripture that this type of practice, the homosexual practice, invites the wrath of God. We know that. Now, I, I don't know exactly how he's going to deal with the United States, but the fact that you know someone such as Pete Buttigieg can get up in front of the whole nation you know, and give a, a press conference and have this stuff reported uncritically by all the mainstream news media that tells you where we are as a nation. Uh, we are in, uh, in deep, serious sin. Uh, we are greatly deceived. 
In fact, I, I sometimes wonder, I think Americans may be the most deceived people on the face of the earth. And not all Americans, of course, not, not all Americans are, are so deceived, but a pretty good portion of them are. Uh, certainly the news media wants to deceive us because, again, they present this stuff either without comment uh, or they, they present it in a positive light. Uh, there's never any criticism of this. And, you know, it's actually quite remarkable, but since the Supreme Court ruled in favor of, uh, of gay marriage, uh, this was back in June of 2015, so just a little bit over five years ago, that the, the moral climate in this nation has, de- has declined very, very rapidly. Um, and, and I think that, that Pete Buttigieg is just one example of, of really the, the flood of evil that not only has come in, but I think is going to be coming in in, in the fairly near future. Um, you know, I mentioned before about the, the presidential inauguration. Um, I'm of the opinion that Donald Trump won that election and that that election was stolen. Uh, I think there is a massive amount of evidence to support that, and I'm not going to go into all of that here. Uh, I had hoped that perhaps that something could be done legally. Maybe there was a legal remedy to that. At this point, that doesn't appear to be the case. Now, you know, I don't know. You know, I mean, I pray for my country. Uh, I pray that uh, there is a way to uh, uh, to keep Joe Biden out of the White House. That uh, some way that, that Donald Trump could be returned as president in January. But I, I have to admit, right now, it it doesn't look good. I mean, it looks like we're going to get Joe Biden. And so unless something unforeseen happens, I'm operating under the assumption that we're going to get Joe Biden. And this, there is going to be, uh, in my opinion, I think you're going to see a flood of evil loosed in this country, the likes of which I don't think Americans have, have ever seen before. I'm sure that I haven't seen it. I'm sure I'm going to be shocked and appalled at it. And that's something that as Christians, I mean, we have to uh, to be ready for. I mean, we know that the Christians have faced difficulties in many other places and times in, in history. In fact, I think really um, persecution is is probably more uh, a more common lot than than it isn't. Um, and we have to expect that as as God's people. I mean, we're not going to be uh, be popular with uh, with the world. And, uh, and and so we, we know that there's going to be persecutions, even under the best of circumstances, there are always persecutions and temptations and things. But I mean, we're talking about getting some people in charge of the country under Joe Biden and under the Democrats, uh, the very, very wicked Democrats. And I, maybe that sounds like a really partisan comment, but but uh, the Democrats, that that is an evil party. Uh, I don't think that a Christian has any business being associated with the Democratic Party. Now, I think there probably are some Christians you know, uh, maybe you know ordinary voters, regular Americans who you know maybe vote Democrat who who are Christians. Um, they shouldn't be voting Democrat, but but they do. Um, I'm not going to necessarily say that those people aren't Christians, but you know the the Democratic leadership is um, just uh, basically sold out to do evil. Um, you know, they're they're wise to do evil, how to do good they know not. I think isn't that in uh, I think that's in Jeremiah. 
Um, that's maybe at least a paraphrase of of, uh, of a passage of Jeremiah. They're they're wise to do evil. I mean, they're very very wise to do that. I mean, they they are absolutely brilliant when it comes to thinking of of uh, of evil schemes. And of course, one of those is gay marriage. But there's going to be a lot of other stuff that's going to come as a result of that. And as as Christians, we need to uh, to be prepared spiritually. Uh, to be able to to deal with a a new landscape, because as American Christians, I think this is going to be be a very different experience for us. I I, I really do, and I got to thinking about something when I was was thinking about you know how is it that that we we prepare for for the uh, the likely Biden administration, and and I, one of the ways. One thing that came to mind was, it was a lesson I learned years and years and years ago. Back a, a number of years ago, I, I thought I might wanted to have a career in politics. I've always been kind of interested in politics. And I, I remember I went to a, a seminar, a weekend seminar. It was on uh, um, training in, in how to be uh, – uh, it was called the Leadership Institute was the name of the, the organization. I went there, and it was a weekend seminar. It was very interesting. Uh, and one of the things I remember that they presented – and this goes back probably 25 years – but one of the things that, that they presented in this, this um this seminar was the the Chinese word for for crisis, and and I remember this because it it uh, the Chinese word for crisis is comprised of two separate Chinese characters. And I, I don't know Chinese, so I, I trust that they're telling me the truth in this. I, I'm pretty sure they were, um, but but the two, of the two characters, one of the characters means danger, and the other character means means opportunity. So there's both danger and opportunity together. That that's a crisis in in, in Chinese. And I, you know, there's um, I think that's a very insightful way of of presenting the idea of of a crisis as both danger and opportunity. And I, I know for my own self, sometimes I get a little bit maybe more concerned about the 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 danger of the crisis rather than thinking so much about the opportunity. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm gonna. You know, what what happens if I get persecuted? What happens if you know if I uh, I lose my job because of Christian beliefs, or I can't do this, or can't do that because uh, you know, because I because I, uh, I am a Christian. Well, it's it's very easy to to kind of get caught up and, and worried about persecution. Of course, I I mean I, I don't relish the thought of being persecuted. I don't relish the thought of having to uh, to deal with with uh, some of those difficulties, you know, I, I don't, I think there would be something unhealthy maybe if we said, yeah, persecution, let's, let's have at it. You know I mean? I don't think that's the attitude that as Christians we should have. Um, but we do have to realize that persecutions can come. You know, I mean, Jesus said that they hated me, you know, a student's not above his teacher, you know, they hated me, you know, they're going to hate you too. So, I mean, I think this is one thing that we can expect in, in the Biden administration is increasing pressure to conform to this world, conform to these evil ideas, such as, in this case, uh, same-sex marriage. But, you know, and sometimes I, I think a little bit about, like I say, it, it's so easy to get worried about the uh, the danger part of it, that sometimes we forget about the opportunity part of it. And and as Christians, I think we're going to have a, a really amazing opportunity to witness for Christ in the coming years. Because what the world is teaching and what we believe as as followers of Jesus Christ are very different things, and I think that the the coming pressure from some of this uh, uh, this immorality that is going to be, I, I think, sweeping the country over the next few years. Like I say, it already has, but I think it's going to get more intense. Um, that's going to be an opportunity to be salt and light. 
I mean, isn't that what Jesus said? You know, you're the salt, you know, the, the light of the world. You know, we, uh, you know, we are to be witnesses to the teaching of Christ. Uh, we are to be salt. We are to be light in, in a dying world and a dying culture. And I think we're going to have some real opportunities to do that. And, and that's one of the things I think we ought to pray for as well. You know, is pray not only, um, that we can bear up under persecution, but not just bear up, but to actually, um, take those opportunities that God gives us to witness and to speak out. You know, whether it's, you know, writing a blog post, whether it's doing a, uh, a, uh, a podcast or a video or maybe talking to your neighbor or your, your parents or your children or, uh, friends, maybe people you know at work. Uh, you know, who knows? I mean, we all, we're all different. We're all in different situations. Um, uh, but we all serve the same Lord. And, you know, this is, uh, I think it's going to be a real opportunity for us to witness for the truth, not only of the law of God, uh, but also of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So yeah, I think that's something we need to be praying about, um, as well. And, you know, one of the things too, I, I sometimes think about, you know, well, why does God allow uh, evil men, you know, like Joe Biden, for example, to get into positions of of power. You know, why does he allow evil movements to to gain traction? Whether it's communism, whether it's you know Black Lives Matter, whether it's Antifa, whether it's critical race theory, whether it's you know the homosexual movement, whether it's feminism, or you know any number, or you know Roman Catholicism, or any number of other isms out there that that have so much sway and power in our own time. And, and I, you know, there, there are probably several, a lot of different reasons. I mean, you can have, there can be multiple reasons why God, uh, works things in a particular way. I think one of the reasons, at least to me, that, that I've been thinking about recently is that it is, is to show us the actual real power of evil and the lack of power that we have in ourselves. You know, I, I wrote a blog piece last, um, last Sunday, it was titled, uh, Without Me, You Can Do Nothing. And of course, that's a, a quote, uh, that j- something that Jesus said to his disciples. You know, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. And I, I know for myself that sometimes it's easy to forget that that if I'm going to stand, any strength that I have to to actually stand up to evil, to speak out against it, to face it, to deal with it, um, it's not in me. I'm not strong enough on my own to be able to do anything. You know, it's only through Christ that strengthens me that I have any chance at all of standing up against the, uh, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when you see the the power of evil right now, and, and it's very strong. I mean, it's overwhelming. I mean, I I mean, the in my opinion, the election was very obviously stolen, and we're about to install a uh, a Roman Catholic. Uh, president who whose policies are basically in line with with that of the Vatican, with that of the Pope, with that of Pope Francis, uh, that is to say, Antichrist, and we're going to get um, there are going to be some, I, I think, some very challenging times here for us as Christians in the next few years. And the thing is, I can't do anything to stop that. I mean, I wish I could. I wish I could could wave my hand and say stop and and put an end to all of that and take all of the the bad guys and send them packing. But but I can't do that. Uh, they're too powerful for me. Yeah, and this is one of the themes in the Bible, though is is that you know apart from uh, apart from God, apart from His strength, you know God has to fight the battle and win. We can't win the battle on our own, and we can't even hardly even fight the battle on our own, let alone win it. 
You know, it's God who fights, and it's God who wins the battle and, and defeats his people's enemies. Our job is to have faith. That is, to believe what he tells us. Um, and I, I think this maybe, uh, I'm even actually thinking perhaps uh, uh, continuing uh, last week's post uh, and, and talking some about that, because I, I think one of the things, as I said, you see in Scripture is this consistent theme that it's God who has to fight and win the battle. Now, he uses means. He can use us to do that fighting, but, but it's, it's, it's only if we fight in his strength uh, that we have any chance of winning. So anyway, that, uh, that kind of wraps things up for this week, and that, that was really about all I wanted to say. Thanks so much for, for listening. For those of you who are watching uh, the, uh, the live cast, uh, the, the live stream on Twitter, thanks for watching. I really do appreciate that. And I uh, wish you a, uh, a uh, great weekend and uh, a blessed Lord's Day. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, um, I'm going to post this out on my blog. As I say, I post this out on the blog. Um, I also post it to uh, Thorn Crown Ministries' website. You can find uh, a link to this uh, podcast will be out on Twitter, on my Twitter account, on the Thorn Crown, 20, uh, Thorn Crown Ministries uh, uh Twitter account, uh, as well as I also have it out there on my Facebook page. So it, you can find it in a number of places. This podcast is also available through Apple Podcasts. So if you like the podcast, you can subscribe to it. Also, too, if you do get something out of this podcast or some of the other work that I do, uh, please consider donating. I'm going to have a, uh, a donations link uh, available on this uh, on the website. So if you want to uh, drop a few shekels uh, in my cup there, if, if you've, like I say, if you've gotten something out of this podcast, uh, please consider doing that. And until next time, uh, this is Steve Matthews. Uh, May the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's word.